Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 89 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. The Patriotic Short Seller. And I'm joined here by my esteemed co-host, former market maker of 20 years and current day retail trader, the prodigal son of Regina, the <laughs> brown Tom Selleck lookalike. <laughs> he sold more paper than Xerox. BWAP trader one. JJ, how's it going? Ray, how you doing, brother? Oh, I'm doing great, man. And our guest today is co-founder and CEO of Hero and the Hero Network. It's a decentralized derivatives protocol built on top of the Solana blockchain. Prior to Hero, he's had close to a 30-year career in traditional finance as a trader and in trading operations. I am talking about Dan Gunsberg. Dan, how's it going, man? Dan Gunsberg, a.k.a. Gunny, a.k.a. I don't know. I need to come up with a name that's as good as yours. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm I like Gunny. Gunny's good. Yeah. I've, been, I've had Gunny since I was like... Uh, I think I started playing hockey when I was like four years old and right out of the gate, my last name being Gunsberg, the coaches started calling me Gunny and it just stuck for my entire life. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Hockey is a lot of fun. The the coaches, um, you know, I I actually, I played a little bit of hockey too growing up, man. Um, Teaches a lot of good things and the the nicknames of camaraderie. Love all that. Um, Best. Uh, Dan, just, you know, just to uh, open up the podcast and I'm sure the listeners um, are tired of me talking about poker. Uh, having poker guests, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask because Caitlin, the one who helped coordinate this podcast together, sh- and shout out to Caitlin, uh, she works at Hero with you um, to ask you about poker. You know, she she made sure you know. Yeah, that was interesting. I, you know what? It's been I've been a social player for a long time, and um, and you know it's it's like anything that you do, and then you can, you kind of like get a little better at it. Like I play a lot of golf, for example, and like. When you start in golf, it's like this, like kind of lifelong journey. And then when you when you start to get good, like getting better gets progressively harder and harder, right? It's I mean, this is like anything you do in life. And, and uh, I kind of got there with poker. I was, you know, like online, was starting to like make a little money, and you know, playing some tournaments and stuff, and doing it like in my off time, and um, just got better at it, and kind of learned the art of the game a lot more, and. And then last year I went to, um, uh, there's a company called Stormax, uh, that my friend Simon founded and, uh, they had a poker tournament in, in Vegas last year. And I got to play with some pros and, and a few others. And, uh, the night before we, they played a cash game and, and I can just tell you that the level that I was at and that I thought was at relative to where those people were was like out of the stratosphere. It's so much so that I, I got my ass kicked so bad that I had to go to a blackjack table and grind my losses back, <laughs> which is about as degenerate. I, I hated myself for it, but I did it. And, um, and unfortunately, I, I, I got, I got the, uh, the, I got some of the RAS money to, to replace my, <laughs> my poker losses. But, uh, but no, I, I do love it. I, I love the game and I, I love the, the, the probabilities aspect of it and, yeah. and just kind of the art of it. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's really kind of helped transcend my trading in many ways. And, you know, and have to, have to think about trading, even in business too. Like it just, it kind of permeates into other parts of your life and start thinking about probabilities and, yeah. and, um, you know, kind of how to read situations better. And it's been great. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, these are things, you know, on this podcast I've talked about because, yeah, I 100% agree. Um, You know, I went from poker first to trading and poker helped my trading. And now, you know, I I still keep up and play poker, but trading's helped my poker playing um, as well. And and just other areas of life, like you mentioned, and, you know, on asking, you know, asking you about like, you know, even being a CEO, um, running companies, uh, would you say like trading, trading supplement as- aspect as well? Yeah, no, it, it's, it definitely has, has helped in so many ways. And like you, you know, one of the things that I think um, you either learn in poker or you learn in trading, uh, which like both, if you do properly, can be a positive EV, you know, should be positive expected value for you. And so, um, and you think through those situations and like, I think the biggest thing that you learn is to miss small, 
and to find asymmetric upside. So like your, your bets that you're making, you're, you want those bets to be controlled and have controlled downside, um, and get away from things that, that could have kind of more tail level losses or catastrophic losses. Get rid of those. Like if they're not working and you can always put them back on. Um, and then get yourself into situations where your, your upside is asymmetric from a risk perspective relative to the amount that you have to outlay to, to, um, stay in the game, so to speak. And so, uh, I think that general thesis really works well in, it works well in anything in life, but like in business and in, uh, in poker and trading. And I think that's probably like the biggest takeaway that I've had that's really kind of matched business and, and trading and, and, and poker for that matter. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, well said. And just a reminder to the listeners, if you guys would like to join a supportive and professional community of traders, you can join us at microefutures.com. So Dan, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, I started in traditional finance um, I believe you started on the floor of the Chicago Board of Trade. Uh, you know, just maybe just give us a little background on how you got started there. Yeah, um, without going into too much detail, I my family moved to Chicago when I was 18 years old. I was going to college. I was I came back for my summer. I when they first moved, I, I came over like some holiday, and I went to the Board of Trade and was up in the visitor center, and I looked down on it, and the whole my whole world changed. And it, and I didn't know what it was at the time, but really it was like the degenerate dopamine <laughs> rush of watching that floor and what, and seeing everything that was happening there. Um, and knowing that this was a kind of at the center of, of the financial market world was, it just was something larger than me that I needed to be a part of. And, uh, so when I came home uh, for the summer, I went down to the board of trade. I, long story short, some I I knew I had a contact down there, and the guy kind of stood me up. Um, and so uh, another business lesson, like you know, sometimes you just gotta man up and do things yourself to get started. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I went down there. Uh, I got a job, like basically the lowest form of employment to get myself on the floor, um, like like garbage collector. I would have taken that, but there was mm-hmm. kind of one above it, which was, which actually got me into the trading pit. It was like a job that you basically like punched a number into a computer when a trade happened. But I learned the trick. I learned the hand signals. It got me down like in the mix. And uh, I ended up meeting some people down there and uh, I played golf with, you know, with some guys and uh, they ended up giving me a job as part of their group and kind of worked my way up through the ranks and i spent my summers down there very grateful for the time down there it was such a wild time it was so crazy and then uh when i finished school i started trading right at that time uh, electronic trading was starting to spin up there was something called project a on the chicago board of trade that uh had um it, it was like the first internal electronic trading system um mm-hmm. so much so that like the, the there was probably only like 20 or 30 traders on it because it was it only operated overnight and, mm. um, and I would say of the 20 to 30 traders, like 15 of them all cleared the same clearing firm and were backed by the same guy. And that guy was trading overnight. So when that <laughs> guy would be on, would get run over on a trade, he would actually like call a, the kind of the command center and say, who the fuck was that on the other side? And if he, if it was a high probability that somebody that he was backing, he would, <laughs> he would force them to cancel the trade. It was like, really? it was such a, Oh, it was so broken. It was so wrong. And, um, but, um, I learned how to trade on, you know, on the screen and, um, I was yeah. trading, you know, mostly like 10 year treasury notes against 30 year treasury notes. And, uh, and then going in the pit in the morning and, and trading my way out of it. The pit was something that I never fully connected to. Um, it, you know, I, I mean, I'm not a small guy. I'm about, you know, six feet tall. And at the time, maybe I was 180 pounds a little heavier now, but, um, so is age. And, uh, but, you know, you got down there and it was like, you were really kind of nuts to butt with, you know, a bunch of guys that were six, three, six, four, they hired a lot of <laughs> that's tight ends and linemen down there. And, <laughs> and what I didn't understand at the time was you really needed to, you know, you really needed to, to befriend brokers and kind of, you just like 
the, I was, we'd stand in the bond pit. It was so big. And like, it was just like groups of what they called locals, people trading for their yeah. own accounts that would, um, you know, kind of gather around brokers and those brokers had order flow and those orders came in. Those were the things that were really crossing the bid ask spread. And, you, you know, good traders really would just stand there and kind of, you know, you, you, you take that liquidity in yeah. and, and soak it up. And then eventually, like you'd often, you know, you'd oftentimes get run over. You try to scalp it or scratch it and you'd get run over and you just hoped that when you got run over, the broker would come back to you the other way. And so, um, I did that for a while. I quickly got on the screen, uh, which was much, which suited me much better. Uh, even though I, I, I did blow up, uh, when I first started <laughs> and then, um, and then I got into, I, I blew up and then, um, I took like a three month, three, four months off. And then I went back and started trading equities. And then when I traded equities, right, this was like in 99, end of 99 now. Mm-hmm. And the whole NASDAQ boom bust was really starting to pick up. And that's mm-hmm. really, really, I, I caught, you know, I caught a good tailwind and had a very successful run there. And so, um, that, you know, that ever since then, I never went back down to look for, I had a seat on the market for a while, um, after that. And, um, I just go on the floor really, um, to just try to capture some, you know, edges here and there. And it was almost more of a social thing for me at that point, yeah. but I was spending most of my time and all my risk really was on the screen. Um, and, uh, did that eventually got into short-term interest rate trading, uh, uh, and was doing that on, you know, off the floor. And then in 2011, I ended up going to a prop room that a couple of friend of, friends of mine had founded and uh, went in and started building out trading desks there and eventually became principal chief operating officer. I found crypto while I was there and kind of the okay. rest is history. Cool. Yeah. Um, Dan, I, I want to ask you, um, you know, when, you know, when you mentioned when electronic trading really first started to become a thing and like you were, that's what you first went to was, was there an edge like being kind of like one of the first people, you know, f- first people that really gravitated towards electronic trading as opposed to, I'm sure maybe some of the old traders were a little resistance, uh, resistant to it at the time. You know, at first, like talking about when it was just project a, um, there wasn't much, there wasn't much edge, uh, because the, at least in the things that I was trading, cause I was trading the U S treasuries and they had a, they had an overnight pit session that was, um, Boy, that was, you know, kind of a, uh, an aberration at this point when you kind of think <laughs> about it. But uh, um, I'm sure there were some people that were smart enough to trade side by side at the time. But really, when things took off with electronic trading, at least in derivatives, was um, there were there was a relatively long period of time where there was so much flow going into the pit. And then there was, and then you had the screen trade and it was side by, it was what they called the side by side. And it was such a long time where you could capture edge on either side and like the art, it was free money. And, uh, and then obviously that arbitrage over time closed, but I think that's really where you captured edge from a, you know, when you really understand what professional trading is, like it's such, there's, there's these components of it. There's a mark, there's a liquidity providing component where you're, trying to capture bid ask spread. There's arbitrage. There's all these elements that when you're building a tra- out a trading desk or trading business, you kind of want to have touch points in all of these because they're positive EV trades. And over time, it just, it's just how many transactions you can get that will start adding up. Um, you know, there's that and rebate programs, all these other things that professionals, you know, really sink their teeth into. Uh, and then, um, once that went away, like the other things that you really had to rely on was more like what I would consider more like, um, just informational asymmetries, like, you know, um, or, or just being able to see things a much wider expanse of the market, um, and understanding correlations a little bit and starting to see like, okay, well, this is leading for the day. So when this moves, I can go lift this other market over here mm-hmm. and capture edge and like started to have to do the, like more information arbitrage, I would call it. Um, and then over time, like high frequency trading really picked up. And then all of those, if you were not getting deep into like ultra low latency stuff, all those ARBs went away and the market, you know, got a lot more difficult for a lot of people. So, um, hope, you know, luckily I, I kind of transitioned. I got, when I got on that electronic trading wave early, it helped me stay just ahead of the curve to, 
you know, to kind of see what was coming next. And, you know, a lot of what got me into crypto was the fact that when I, and I started trading crypto in 2015 and it was, it was an absolute redux of what was happening in the traditional markets and had this massive fragmentation where you had arbitrage going between all these different exchanges and didn't have the capital efficiency aspects of it, which are things that are really more or less being solved now. But uh, you, there definitely was a lot of opportunity because of just early fragmented markets and, and just a, a lack of, of sophistication at that point. And so, and obviously that's starting to evolve very similar to how we've seen electronic trading evolve today, uh, you know, and kind of where it's at today. But um, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of it. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So, so you being a seasoned trader, you, 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 once you got introduced to the crypto markets, you, you immediately were able to, to find the edges there. And I, I'm sure you capitalized pretty well on it. I mean, they were like, you know, to use a sports analogy, um, you know, when you're like a, when you're batting baseball, like some days you look at the ball coming at you and it looks like a, a beach ball. And some days it looks like a, a pea, you know, <laughs> and, and you can never explain why, but it's, you're either in the zone or you're not. Uh, th- this was a beach ball for a long time. Mm-hmm. And there's still beach ball level opportunities out there because the innovation is so fast. And so much about crypto is like this experimentation, like around finance and, and this, this transferring, this transition towards this more democratized DeFi world. And there's just all these different dimensions of opportunity that exist. And really it's like this become a meme, but it's, it, it is very early still there. And so um, you start to see these opportunities pop up and it could be things like, like the things I was talking about, just having straight arbitrage between various exchanges or jurisdictional arbitrage. But, you know, now it's moved into like there there's NFT trading, like, trading nfts at in the same way that you trade you know uh e-minis is yeah. starting mm-hmm. to become a the very early days of it and so it's really opening up this opportunity of like markets on everything and with that comes a lot of broken fragmented markets and and again like that it's that cycle just starts over lack of sophistication you have to be willing to remove yourself from what you know as a norm and be willing to be a little uncomfortable and be like, I can't believe I'm trading this, but I'm, <laughs> but there's opportunity <laughs> yeah, here. So exactly. I'm trading. Yeah. And, 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 there, and new types of arbitrage is, are, are existing like around, you know, minor extractable value, uh, something called MEV in, you know, in things like Ethereum, it's starting to pop up in things in the Solana blockchain, which is something that, you know, I'm pretty heavily involved in. And there's, it's, I think we have many more years of this. And, um, and then obviously you just have the overall volatility of the crypto market, like that, which yeah. creates opportunity. That noise creates a lot of opportunity. And there's a lot of gravy there to be, you know, even for just the, the average retail trader, if you, you know, you can find your pocket in certain things and, um, there's a real chance to have real good positive EV trading for, you know, and over time it's going to go away. It's just the nature of how markets work, but, um, it's there very much so right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really fascinating. You know, you, uh, you brought up the point. It's like, uh, you know, I can't believe I'm trading some, like I'm, I'm over here, Dan, and I'm, I'm trying to trade, um, NFT racehorses. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's a fun, it's, yeah. you know, I'm not, not to get into it, but it's like a racing game, but like there's a trading aspect to the game too, as well. Right. Like the buying the sell of the horses and, you know, yeah. just having that trading mind, it's, um, just trying to find an edge there, you know, and it's, it's, you know, it's just a fascinating world we're stepping into um, here. Totally. Yeah. I mean, speaking of, speaking of racehorses, you know, like that's one place we're thinking a lot about is like, just from a derivative, you know, we've, we're building this on-chain derivatives infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the, the exchange matching and then the clearing settlement margin risk layer below it all mm-hmm. kind of bundled into one set of smart contracts. And then anybody can plug in the way we've built what we call dexterity protocol is that it's generalized. So it's just an accounting and payoff function with a, with a, um, a customized risk engine attached to it. And you can give it instructions to basically create any type of market on any, any asset, as long as you have a, an on-chain way to settle the transaction, like a, which you really oh, need a broker okay. for. 
So like that makes us think about, and you know, and the timing is, is interesting for this things like sports betting yeah, or things absolutely. like, like in game, in game horse racing, like horse racing, live in game horse racing over in Europe is a, is a huge thing where each, you know, each horse has a, it's going to settle zero or a hundred and those markets on each horse moves as the race is progressing. And so you can actually trade a live market on all those. And there's some of the largest market makers on the planet that are like knee deep in this business being liquidity providers to it. Yeah. And oh, it sounds so fucking degenerate, but it's like <laughs> people love it. And, but really at the end of the day, it's trading, right? It's just trading. Exactly. On an asset. Yeah. So yeah. we look at it and go, well, let's look at what's going on in the United States now with, you know, with um, state by state with, uh, online gambling becoming more uh, legal, legalized. And will we go to that level? And then if we go to that level, I don't look at it as much as like just pure retail speculation, which is going to happen. It's going to happen whether it's legal or illegal, right? It's, um, I look at it as there's liquidity providers there. The, they, there is now an economic reason to hedge a sports book. Mm. And when you have an economic reason to hedge, there's a, there's an argument to be made say like can futures be should they be re- can you launch regulated futures in the united states on sports like on sporting events because they're the size is large enough now that there is economic reasons for sports books to hedge you have institutional kind of quote-unquote players those institutions being the large you know, caesars and mm-hmm. all the big sports books and the market makers that are on their side of it so yeah. it's a really interesting time. It is kind of like this idea of derivatives on everything is really something that we think is going to really explode here in the next few years. Yeah, That's and cool. I I couldn't agree anymore. I mean, just the um, I'm a sports better as well. I, I I like playing um, you know, betting on like fantasy football and like that whole like uh industry is just exploding. And I'm sure the legality. Um, in America, I just, people just love betting on stuff. You know what I mean? Like, like you said, like it, it's a little bit degenerate, but people love it. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's just human, it's just human, it's human nature. There, there, you know, it's, there's a, there's a vice to it. And obviously, and like, look, the stock market is, if you're, if you're trying to trade the stock market without some proper training, you go through, like, yeah. you're a negative, you have negative expected value. If you're trying to trade in and out of things all day. And yeah. even if like, and it's crazy. Like you see like all the people that are like kind of short selling options all the time. And like, it works great until it doesn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause you think, okay, well, 90 X percent of all options expire worthless. So I'm going to just keep selling like deep out of the monies and kind of pick up nickels, but it's nickels in front of the steamroller. And yeah. you know, the question is, is like, can you make enough that it, it all is going to revert at something. You're going to be on the wrong side of that. There's not going to yeah. be a way to get out. And then you're going to kind of give back, you know, X amount of what you made. But um, there it's just human nature, right? It's just like, it's all in us. Like whether your reasons for trading, is it like, you have to ask yourself, like, is it the dopamine rush? Am I missing something in my life? That like, <laughs> why am I over, am I over trading because I have bills to pay or am I over trading because I really am not thinking about this. But when I step back, I really am like chasing, I'm chasing the, the, the rush. The, the rush of being in the trade. And that's when it kind of crosses the line into gambling. There's nothing that anybody can do to stop that. There's no regular regulation in the world that's like yeah. gonna stop. And if you think about like playing <laughs> blackjack, let's take like blackjack for example, even, which when you walk into a casino, even with the best rules, like you're still and you played a perfect strategy, you're still like a negative 0.4% disadvantage. Right. So it's like it's 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 pretty much a coin flip if you play properly. The house is just making it up over the law of large the volume. Yeah. That's the pure yeah. volume, right? And it's why do the markets, why are they that much different? Why are they that much different? They really aren't, right? Now the the big difference is obviously there's a there's an economic reason to have stocks and futures and things that like which makes sense, but it it really I think we're in this time where it's like, especially with the prevalence of electronic trading and also with where crypto is going and like the infrastructure that's being built, we're really at this intersection of gaming and trading. And I don't mean gaming in like a, a 
you know, World of Warcraft way. And maybe a little bit of that, but really in this like gaming world, and how does this all start to merge? Yeah, like and casino gaming, would... like in that sense. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I, I live in London now, and there, there's a there's a sports betting gaming place on every block. You know, it's like oh, you just sure. It, it's crazy. You know, there's a Ladbrokes. There's a, you know, it's like, and they've been there forever, right? So this is like the next natural progression, right? What I'm yeah. interested in is the clearing. Uh, that that's fascinating because I've my my specialty was cross border clearing, right? In in you know U.S. equities. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and knowing how to work the clearing system. So is that stuff all done now through blockchain and done like, you know, instantaneously? Oh, cool. That, Very cool. That's one of the big effects. One of the big uh, benefits that we see or kind of, you know, where the world's moving is the two things like inline risk, which is your the risk updates with every new transaction across okay. the whole network. Wow. And so and, and also your your position. So. You know, we use we use portfolio. Our model has portfolio margin, so you get the benefits okay. of your of your entire book, your entire of all your positions get looked at as one big position, and then uh, oh, and then you get okay. you have you know you have your your haircut or your margin requirement based on that, and uh, that updates in line. It updates in real time, and oh, cool. um, and when you are near liquidation, it will warn you, and when you are getting liquidated basically you no longer own the position it would be as if your clearing firm took the position back and said it's with us yeah it's with us now and you're and you're out so um that that all happens in a decentralized way through building uh on the smart contracts and uh been very and it's taken us you know almost the better part of a year and with some of the you know, some great, really great minds, both in engineering from crypto side and from traditional finance. Like a lot of our backers, a lot of the the teams that got involved with us uh, over the last year, you know, a lot of Susquehanna, Jump Trading, Alameda Research, uh, Chicago Trading Company. Like these are prominent trading firms that have mm-hmm. you know that have all kind of come together and think about how we can build this DeFi lane kind of for the greater good of everybody. And part of that is solving these things like around capital efficiency and around real-time margining. And you know, I look at it from a long-term perspective as a real way to to a real step forward towards like kind of the the horizontal disintermediation of systemic risk. Like let's start thinking about the benefits of this in a way that like, having real-time risk is better than risking thrown under a rug and kind of you have like you were talking about kind of being able to game the clearing system and well exactly um, yeah i mean when i started yeah. trading in vancouver we had 13 day settlement right i mean <laughs> can you imagine the kind of tricks we got up to with that right? i could not even i cannot even imagine 13 days like even like three days is crazy like t plus yeah like insane to me. yeah but yeah. that but but pro, but but let's let's be real like these big nasty systemic events, which even what we've had in crypto with like three yeah. arrows and with Doquan and Luna and all this bullshit, like it, it all starts with human error at some point. Mm-hmm. Somebody, somebody has a lapse in judgment. Oftentimes it's around an honest mistake and then it metastasizes. Gosh, and, yeah. and then, and when you don't have real time clearing or real time transparency around risk. Oh, yeah. You have, and then, and then, and then even more so if you have that and you have it in a centralized place, now the, the the decision, there's only a couple of decision makers that can decide. Exactly. Do we we want to sweep it under the rug? Do we want to? And that can't, we're, we want that to go away. We want decisions through, through the, you know, through community, through network governance to be run in that type of manner. And have rules that you can live by, and like it's a it's painful for the old you know kind of the old network, but it's a new way of thinking, and I think a mm-hmm. lot of people would rather find ways to mitigate systemic events. Oh yeah, than I to mean, be able to get a you know make a couple extra just a couple extra bucks because you can exactly. do a little yeah. I mean, we did have Nick Leeson on the podcast, so you know. Oh Jesus Christ. <laughs> 
so yeah, I had we, some good stories, but I don't know that they're going to even outdo. That's no, okay. That's no, okay. We're 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 here for the stories. <laughs> God, I have to go back and see that one. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that was that that was an interesting one. Um, when a trader spirals out of control. <laughs> yeah, that was that there, was... No, great, great, great example. He's the best. He's the top one of the top. You know, clear cases of like a lapse in a lapse in moral judgment and you know, like a lapse in. And he understood the clearing system and was able yep. to gain the shit out of it, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, you know, Dan, I, I just want to um, take it back to what you were saying before. Um, you know, I always like asking guests about their learning curve in trading. And, and you mentioned you you blew up account. What, what were some of the things you struggled with uh, when you first uh, started trading? You know, I think just some of the... Um, the typical things that you have to kind of learn the hard way, um, you know, and also you, you know, you, you see, you see a lot when you're, you know, when, when you're there and when you're an outside, when you're, when you're a part of it, but you're not, you're not at necessarily at risk. It's a very different mm-hmm. feeling than when you're oh, really doing yeah. it and there's real money on the line, right? Yeah. It's, it's night and day and it's so easy to be an armchair quarterback. And like, yeah. oh, I would have done it that way. And you just can't know till you're in that position because you don't know what kind of emotions are going to come out of you. And, you know, and I, yeah. and I would just, I, th- I think to be very clear, I, I, I just was immature. And I thought that like, you could follow very strict rules and it just doesn't like, and, and, and you know, you, you could be hyper-disciplined. And you know, when I first got in it, somebody said to me, this is a guy that was making, you know, this is 1998, that was making, you know, eight figures a year trading. He's like, if you can go in that pit and make 10 to 20 ticks a day, he's like, okay, like 10 ticks a day is $312 a day. And he's like, you're going to make, you know, 75, 80 grand a year doing that if you average that out. And he's like, give yourself a year of doing that to just kind of learn the ropes. And like, I didn't know what learn the ropes meant. And I, and you know, it, it, it could be things that, so when you started, when I started trading electronically, I, the bottom line is I just got in over my head. And um, the way that that electronic system worked was pro rata. And, it, you know, it's you get this feeling. It's like riding a motorcycle without a helmet on. It feels real safe and you feel fine until you get sideswiped. And, uh, you know, a bank came in and cleaned the bid side of the market out and dropped, Ooh. you know, dropped the bond market at a point and a half. It was like on a fat finger. And wow. I had no experience dealing with that. And now I was like, I had a position on because it was pro rata. So I was overbidding, trying to get more of the, sh- you know, the, yeah. the order flow that came in. And suddenly it was like, for me, it was massive, hundreds of thousands of dollars negative. And then I had to like, and then I put bad spreads on because I panicked as opposed to just like taking my finger off the button and saying, let's assess what the fuck is going on here. Yeah, and it's just the maturity thing that took me a long time to, to definitely, um, you know, to it, you know, and I can tell you, even like when I started making money, it was a whole different set of emotions. Mm-hmm. Like when I started, like when I was trading equities and really doing really well, you know, and I went through, I went through almost like a, I would say close to two years where I had like maybe five or six down days, and it was such a different set of emotions. It was like the ego that you had to put under control. And then like the amount of anxiety and pressure that you're putting on yourself. Like we used to break keyboards. Like they oh, were yeah. like, like you were stepping on a piece of ice. Yep. Like I would say on an average busy day, there was like five to 10 keyboards broken. By our, by our <laughs> it became this like rite of passage, like so much so that like I, I once had a friend that, that smashed the keyboard. I mean, he was maybe down like three or 400 grand trading for the day and flipped out and smashed his keyboard so much, so much. So, and mind you, this keyboard still connected to the screen that it was started lifting offers. Oh my God, really? And yeah, he bought like a million shares of, of like Broadcom <laughs> or something. <laughs> and like way, way more than he was supposed to. And ended up making all <laughs> That's like, hilarious. He, he kicked off a, like a, a, a quick, like, you know, five minute panic and rally because he was just rinsing everybody. Oh my god! And, that's like, and you think about like, oh, who's this other sophisticated trader? Like the yeah. they in trading that's on yeah. the other side, yeah. the, the yeah. invisible hand in the market. 
And exactly. it was some dude that was fucking pissed because <laughs> he was getting his ass kicked for the day to stay. his fucking keyboard. keyboard. And like, you know, it, so it was such a different set of emotions. And then, you know, and you're, you're young. I was 26 years old at the time. And like, told you guys, which, you know, maybe if we have time, we can share some of those stories. But like, mm-hmm. went to Vegas in 2000, like seven times in a year and like had a crew of guys that we just had, they were all traders. It was, it was wild. But, but, um, you know, once I got, out of that phase and you know and I, and I got hurt on 9-11 too really bad and yeah, me too. you know it took, it took me like it took me a couple of years to come back from that too and like i've been through it and you know and you, you take a step back and you think like just it's so important to like not like to understand how to take risk and i think it's really oftentimes it's warranted to like take a lot of risk because there is a very significant asymmetric opportunity in front of you and it's okay if you lose because like your probabilities relative to your game like are are so off in your favor that you should be throwing the kitchen sink at things i do believe that and that's to be a good trader over time you need that and um but for the most part like i look at it as like like go go look at your friends who have harvard law degrees and what kind of money they make and like how many hours a week they have to pull to do it. And you're like, you probably can make that same amount of money, if not more working half the time, having a life for yourself and balancing yourself just by like having some, you know, having a a trade that you understand how to do and not getting out of your wheelhouse. And it's, you know, it's easier said than done, obviously. But over time, I think I've just really matured to it. And, um, you know, my emotion, I don't, I don't have those emotions, you know, those highs and lows anymore. Not having that is really important. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, I, I, I like to think of myself on the trading side as like a really well-paid plumber. <laughs> like it's like <laughs> I'm definitely, definitely more the grinder. Like I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not the guy that takes the hundred X in crypto, even though like I've gotten in things really early, but like, you know, you take a five X or a ten X, it's it's pretty great, and you can always get back in. And like, I am a big proponent of ringing the cash register when you think, you know, it's time. And I, and one more thing I'll say about this, and you know, for your listeners who are maybe just more retail and trading longer term kind of swing trading, the the market is so like so many people rely on media for information about you know for trading, and Media is not aligned for you to trade properly. And it's not being done on purpose. It's just, it's just the way it works and the way it works with like, with clickbait and with like understanding SEO and like how things trend. And it, there's this weird reflexivity to it that like the reality is that to be trading, like the real opportunities in crypto are like, are right now. And most, and I'm sure most people are thinking, well, you know, is Bitcoin going to zero? And it's just not the case. And, but in, in so much of the media, you can get Jim Cramer saying like, I'm not into crypto anymore or whatever. People listen to that. <laughs> but then, but then when, when, when Bitcoin's at 52,000, his producers are going to be like, you're, you're bullish crypto again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and you're, then you're going to start buying it. And now you, now you're just kind of buying it like, at which might still work for you given that the momentum's there yeah but the real asymmetric opportunity comes when there's blood in the streets and you have to you have to understand the counter cyclical nature of this market and the fact that you're dealing in a market where even the most liquid assets are trading 80 to 100 volatility and when you have volatility that high like the noise looks like massive moves and um i think if you can zoom out and really understand like the cyclical nature of how these things work, you can, you can have, you can create some really good opportunities for yourself. And that's something that like, I definitely have gotten better with as a trader over time is just understanding that cycle and crypto is really helpful. Yeah. You know, it's uh, the way I think about it too, is just like the, the media, like they're not the sharps, <laughs> like they're, they're not, uh, no. they're, they're not the guys in no. there uh, trading every day, grinding. Uh, so it's like, you take it with a grain of salt. It's that's right. They're they're trying to get clicks. Yeah, they're trying to get viewers. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna say 
what they need to say to maximize that. They're not there. I don't, they're not always the ones giving you the best advice in that way. And I mean, these are the big media, you know, giants that are right. looking at these things and, and you can just see it in the headlines. Like when crypto, you know, you, last time up like Bitcoin's at 4,000 and like, you know, Arthur Hayes had to go pull the plug on BitMEX to prevent the cascade and uh, liquidations from sending it even lower. But like, that was a significant opportunity. And like, and it wasn't until we got to like broke 20,000 that everyone became excited about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like 500% from the low. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I think, it, you know, and we've, we've talked with, um, you know, some traders, even we've had some like mental game coaches on the podcast and what a, lo- a lot of them have echoed is, you know, because of like this media factor and us being like, so driven, you know, with the internet, everything so fast at us that these overreactions create some opportunities for us as traders, you know, potentially and stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, that's something I always try and keep in mind as well. And it works both ways. It works for the opportunity when there's like blood in the streets, so to speak, and you have conviction or you understand what this, you know, what's really going on in the scenes. And that is, that's a form of asymmetry. Like you want to take advantage of that, uh, especially like, when you're building a core position and you can find yourself on sides over time, you can start trading, you can start trading around that position, but it also happens during the euphoric phases of these cycles. Mm -hmm. And you need to be looking to shed position when you have those kind of parabolic moves that um, they're unsustainable. Like gravity bring, you know, gravity is a bitch. (laughs) And um, when, you know, like even like like I, I am a big Solana, long-term Solana believer and have been in it for a couple of years now. And like even that last run-up, there was a lot of signs that it was like just was too much. It was too much excitement. It was over you for and I, I got out a lot of my position. Um and fortunately it worked out. You know, like yeah, could have continued up to a thousand. Would I have been like, you know, losing sleep in a different way? Maybe. But I think it'll go there over time. It's just like when you see those kind of parabolas, like they're unsustainable. And then they, they move fast. They're unsustainable. Those are usually good opportunities, whether it's short-term or long-term to, to cover and like, and, and then reposition and then start the cycle again. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I, I forget who said this, uh, but I love this quote. One of my favorite quotes, like in the market is like, there, there's no, the only thing certain in markets is mean reversion. Um, yes. And- and I like that. And like, so when, when we see these type of parabolic moves or stuff, cause you know, I mentioned in the beginning, I like shorting. So, you know, always things like that catch my attention. Um, because you're, you're going with the flow of things. I feel like, um, yep. no, it makes sense. It, yeah. it's, it, um, I, I'm a big, big fan. Of, I mean, timing it is hard. Sure. You know, um, you can use all the tools in the world, but like if you know, you get caught in a the squeeze, then that's bad. Like you generally want to, you want to, you want to get like, you want to get long and you want to establish or get out of positions. And like, let's take it down to a very short time frame. Like if you were trading like minute by minute, mm-hmm. like during liquidations, liquidations, like in the derivatives markets in crypto, for example, like they happen often. And like, that's always when the pendulum swings, like you get a big liquidation prices because there's less price sensitivity because the, the algos are just like covering trades that's when you want to be getting along on the downside. And then it happens on the upside and shorts get squeezed out and they yep. get rinsed and then it rinses the other way. That's when you want to be shaving your position. And like that yeah. cycle just regardless, it can be from, you know, down to picoseconds out to, you know, weeklies and monthlies. Like that cycle just works over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's in those edges of the tail that, of the distribution, if you're talking about like mean reversion, where like most of the volume is happening kind of in the meat of the distribution, but in the tails is really where you want to be ideally taking action. And um, I think that's when the best opportunities exist, both getting in and getting out. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. Well said. Um, so, so Dan, um, you know, just curious how uh, Hero came about. Um, I know we mentioned it a little bit, but just, yeah, tell, tell us anything you want um, about Hero, what you guys got in the pipeline, et cetera. Yeah, sure. So, um, it came about because, you know, we were, we were looking to establish a, a DeFi alternative, um, in terms of like, uh, derivatives market infrastructure. And, you know, you kind of have the incumbent stacks that exist today around the big exchanges and clearinghouses like, uh, 
you know, CME has CME Globex and then they have CME Clearing underneath. There's Urex and um, uh, LCH ClearNet and Ice and Ice Clear. And we're, mm-hmm. you know, we've kind of taken that, that stack and built it all on chain. And so, uh, and all of that infrastructure has been wrapped in various SDKs and APIs. And, um, and whether you're a, a market maker looking to provide liquidity, you, know, you can come and plug in, you know, connect via the APIs. Uh, or if you're an application, whether you're like a DeFi or CeFi user facing application, uh, you can come and plug in and, uh, and then you get all of that liquidity, regardless of what app it's being generated through or, or what market maker it is or what professional trading firm or automated trading system. It is all collects and then bottoms out into our marketplace. And then the idea over time is to progressively decentralize the network. So um, all of the decisions made around the network are ultimately driven through uh, network governance. And that governance and your weight and governance is determined by your holdings of uh, the HXRO token. And then uh, that token is staked to the network. And then depending on how long you stake, there's some like multipliers to give you, you know, more stake weight. And then that, depending on that weight, um, determines what your voting weight is when there are things that need to go to uh, to governance for a vote. Uh, at the outset, then we set up a foundation, a uh, five-person foundation that is um, helping to drive some of the early decisions. Uh, a lot of the 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 largest participants in the community, like I said, are big professional trading firms, Jump Trading, Susquehanna, um, uh, CTC, uh, Pattern Research, Alameda, um, a few, you know, a few VCs, and then some long-term hero holders uh, who are, you know, all committed various types of resources, whether it's engineering or you know, um, just mindshare from the risk departments, thinking through you know how to solve some of these things on chain, and. Uh, and yeah, we built that out and now some apps are starting to connect. We're in a, an alpha sandbox state now. So, um, it's on mainnet. We're using a, a fake test token on mainnet and allowing teams to start connecting and some apps to start connecting in. Uh, and then they're trading in the sandbox really with the idea to just work out some kind of final bugs before we open it up to real USDC collateral. Uh, and then, you know, have a bunch of kind of incentives and reward system, very DeFi-esque uh, uh, modeling in terms of how the economics work around it. And um, really trying to create this third lane of, you know, of, of consumer choice and, and, and derivatives clearing. And I, what I mean by three lanes is that you have this incumbent, like the CME world, you kind of have this centralized direct clearing model, which is what FTX is doing now. And then you have DeFi. And we're really trying to position ourselves to own that DeFi lane and give an option for, uh, you know, for applications, again, whether they're decentralized apps, uh, at the, at the user facing layer or, uh, or their CFI, like to be a CFI exchange that's looking for additional liquidity or wants to spin up a specific type of market that they think there could be a lot of, um, uh, opportunity for in terms of a product, uh, and create that they can come create that market on the network. And, um, you know, as liquidity starts building and it becomes more of a viable market and get mar- you know, market makers will participate in those markets or they won't. And uh, there's a couple variants of AMMs that are being added to the, to the network as well. And, uh, and that's it. And then um, we're, you know, we're about four weeks out from launching um, kind of the next phase, which will be on USDC collateral and staking will go live from there. And then, uh, yeah, go from there. Nice, nice. Um, you know, when I was first like looking into this, man, I was just like, you know, you were, we're talking about asymmetrical bets. Uh, I feel like this is a, such a, you know, it's um, providing something that the marketplace needs, uh, you know, that we need in general. And so if this hits, I think it'd be, yeah, yeah awesome. No, I appreciate um, that. That's, uh, yeah. that's, that's the point. Yeah. Um, open to Americans. Are, are, are... Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. So what's uh, yeah, that, that to is say behind that, that or yeah. Yeah. No, look at, I, here's what I can say in a, in a very positive note. Um, yeah, it, it, it is geo blocked. The, the network is geo blocked out from us. The one of the requirements of, of applications that are connecting is that they're, you know, they are 
doing what they can to geoblock us out. Uh, and, um, we are doing some additional, taking some additional steps around like KYT, which would like, like know your transaction. There's some requirements of applications in terms of like kind of the KYC element, which is to me the most important, like it's the most important thing bef- yeah. even before you get to, um, to just general us CFTC derivatives regulation. Like you really have to make sure that the funds that are, that are moving through your network, um, ideally are, are clean and, mm-hmm. you know, you're doing what you can to keep out bad actors or actors using mixers or things like that. And so we're, you know, we've, we've been thinking through that quite a bit. Um, but I will say that, you know, some of the new regime in terms of who's in, uh, in terms of commissioners of the CFTC, uh, one mainly being Caroline Pham, um, very, very positive for innovation right now. And so I think kind of the, the, the path there is seeing FTX through mm-hmm. with their, with their, um, they're, you know, they're trying to capture a, a more substantial type of DCO, uh, which is like what the clearing, um, layer needs in terms of a license in the US and kind of collapsing everything similar to, you know, what we're doing in a DeFi sense. Um, but they're doing it, you know, centralized, uh, and getting approvals with the CFTC on what they're doing. And then, and then starting to explore this next layer. It's going to be a while yet. There's no doubt about it, but. Mm-hmm. We have been proactive with reaching out to CFTC and, and, uh, you know, between our attorneys and some, some of our investors, like one of our investors, the president of it is the ex head of derivatives at Citigroup and, uh, been a very big proponent and great, you know, kind of advisor to the project and helping to shepherd a lot of this in. And, oh, cool. um, you know, my plan over time in terms of the, you know, um, is we obviously want to get to a state where there is a viable opportunity for us to get involved but there are regulations here that need to be paid attention to and we want to work proactively with in order to kind of best maximize the opportunity for the long term yeah absolutely makes it makes a ton of sense do it do it the right way um i know we're we're running up up on uh, the end of our time here so uh we'll speed through these last ones last thing i want to ask you about hero um you said your long-term believer solana heroes built on solana uh, why was that the blockchain uh, of choice for you guys? Oh, very simple. You know, when we first launched Hero, we actually launched in <clears throat> uh, early 2019. We started building in late 2018. And we built a centralized platform for these kind of exotic gamified options. Uh, it was just a front end and with the, you know, with an engine that we created behind it. That that actually is, you know, kind of caught lightning in a bottle. It was pretty interesting. A li- little bit more of kind of the degenerate path of things. <laughs> but um, we wanted to build clear this infrastructure and really go after this clearing, uh, this risk and clearing stuff because we knew how to do it. And you know, being there was a lack of like people that were at the time that were deeply entrenched in traditional markets. And mm-hmm. my experience working with exchanges as you know COO of of a trading firm for a number of years and being a trader and being part of these exchanges for a long time, it felt like felt like maybe it was my calling. And uh, you know, and what I realized is that that anybody that did have that background was, was probably trading because the opportunities were so rich mm-hmm. and uh, like in, in crypto and, you know, I, you know, this, this just how I am, I guess I went after the, the, the more difficult enterprise, but, um, but I do think it's something that can be materially impactful over time. So it's very important that we, that we do that. Um, but at the time, the only thing to really build on was Ethereum and Ethereum just didn't have the throughput capabilities um, or the, uh, the transaction cost model Mm -hmm. to facilitate the types of infrastructure that we wanted to build, which was something that gave a, um, a, in many ways, a similar experience to, you know, some of the larger traditional players in terms of, um, you know, speed and and cost structures and things like that. Things that we can improve upon by removing a lot of the intermediaries too. Um, And uh, there, there wasn't a viable opportunity. So we ended up, building what we built, which was this early stage of hero, this, you know, this kind of exotic options platform. And then um, in like 2020 uh, project serum, which was a project that came out of FTX Alameda, uh, that, that project uh, basically built an on-chain order book um, on Solana. And it showed us that, Hey, you can build something that, that requires high throughput uh, 
and has super low costs on Solana. And uh, we explored it. And um, I had been fortunate to have a you know good relationship with Sam Freed for, for a long time. Uh, and, uh, you know, talked to him about it quite a bit. And the opportunity was there. And, and, and so uh, in early 2021, we started going after it. There we go. We good stuff, good stuff. All right, Dan, uh, I'm going to do some miscellaneous rapid fire questions and you're out of here. All right. All right. All right. Um, what hobbies you have outside of markets? Oh, golf and my kids. Okay. Um, any good uh, books you've read lately? Book recommendations? Uh, no, I, I purely read white papers right now. So. Okay. All right. All right. There we go. Um, I, I know, I know you're not your typical CEO that's like, that reads 69 books a week and then brags yeah. about it on Twitter. It's, and I don't take cold showers. I'm like, I eat meat. I uh, eat a lot of meat. I like to play golf. I like to be outside when I can. Uh, and I work excessively long hours otherwise and have a horrible back because of it. Um, so that's me. <laughs> All right, keep going. <laughs> I love it. All right. Um, if you, if you are chosen to have a, uh, you have to choose a last meal, what would it be? Oh, uh, short ribs. Short ribs. Okay. I like that. <laughs> Good choice. I, I know you're based in the Chicago area. I don't know if you're a bears fan, but, um, the over under on the bears win total is six and a half. What are you taking? Wait, over under on, on which part of it? On the, on the bears, on the bears win total this year. It's six and a half. What oh, uh, that's a really good line. It is. It is. Yeah. I, I'm there's, gonna, there's no edge in I'm these, gonna take by the, the way. I'm yeah. going to take the over because I don't want to be like going to a Bears game and somebody sees this and I'm in the bathroom <laughs> walking out. Next thing you know, I have like a, a knife to my throat. So, <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the Bears fans are serious, man. Um, oh, they don't fuck around. We'll sure. see, man. I, I, I Not to get on a tangent here, but um, I, I think the quarterback has some promise, but they haven't really done nothing to really help him out this year. Yeah. The offensive line, terrible. Not many weapons, but um, – Dude, I, I, I grew up in Detroit, so I've been a, actually like a lifelong Lions fan. Have you? And, uh, so I, I know the pain of all pains of being a football fan. Sure, sure. I actually, <laughs> I actually, a lot of the sharp people, like I mentioned before, uh, yeah, I sports bet as well, well primarily football. Um, a lot of the sharp people I conversate with got a lot of Lions overs, got Dan Campbell for coach of the year. They're looking good. I don't know if you've seen them on Hard Knocks. I actually watched it last night. No, no, it's incredible. I'm, I'm gonna, I've been recording it, so I'm gonna take a look. It's incredible. I always love the hard knocks, but um, yeah, real good this year. Um, you met, you mentioned the Vegas trip. I, I would be remiss if we didn't leave here without this uh, Vegas trip, um, okay. or the seven times in Vegas. Let, let, let's hear about it, Dan. So quick, just quick, quick last story I'll share. But yeah, we we got a, we got a little hooked on, uh, on going. There was a group of guys that uh, were traders on the floor uh, that I that I had met through some guys I was trading stocks with and. Great, like such a wild group. And I was 26 years old at the time and never met guys like this in my life. And they were going to Vegas. And I didn't know jack shit about it. And I started going and, uh, you know, they, it was, I hit lightning in a bottle with them because a couple of them were like really good looking guys. They had, they had really good game. And I was this young single guy at the time, you know, uh, and it was, you know, it was a time when trade, there's a lot of good opportunity in trading and stuff. And we were making, making good money and, Kind of the Mandalay Bay was the new hotspot at the time. And, <laughs> and long story short is there was a guy that I'll share one story out of this. Um, there was a guy that, that I knew who, and I'm not going to name any names, but, um, was, I mean, he was an absolute wild man, like degenerates of all degenerates, crazy gambler and big trader. It ended up getting, getting in some trouble with the Merc because he was like, we, we were like, we were talking about, uh, you know, being able to game the clearing thing. Like he would, if he was like debit in his trading account on Fridays, he'd like card up, he'd have his clerk card up a, like a handle off. So it made it like a hundred NASDAQ ticks off in his favor. So he basically had the weekend to like go back to his clearing firm and get money back in the account before they discovered the error. And he would go to Vegas (laughs) and (laughs) he'd go to Vegas and had like, he had credit lines all over the city and, you know, people don't know this, but in Vegas, like you, you, if you have credit, you basically have 30 days to pay it and it's interest free. And so he pulled from all his credit lines all over the city 
he'd have his friends come with him and he'd like take $25,000 chips and like put the hand them back to his buddy who would then go like play with it for a while and then go color it up and get cash and come back with like a hundred grand or 200 grand cash, regardless of how he did just to, and then he'd get a, you know, get a check and go to the clearing house and say like, here's like, I'm not debit anymore. And eventually <laughs> it caught up with him, of course. Right. But yeah, of course. this guy also is like a tremendously good looking guy and, and um, ended up, he ended up like, he ended up in a relationship out there too with, with one of the biggest actresses in Hollywood. And I, I'm not going to name any names on here, but he, and he, you know, he was involved here too. At the time. <laughs> so, just in typical, you know, 90s, early 2000s, 80s, even uh, trader fashion, just a, just a wild guy. And he, I watched him go through this relationship firsthand with this girl and it, it, it never made public news, but some of the things that went on and I, I'm going to stop the story there were absolutely wild. So much so that, that his significant other caught him. And this is the type of shit this guy gets away with. And um, so he's, he's got all this stuff going on and like doing all this shit, you know, with carding up the wrong numbers. And like, he had this like whole cycle going like who can deal with that pressure to begin with. Right. And like, it's really crazy. And um, then gets involved with this starlet and so much so that they got him, they, they started writing each other in email, like on email. And, and mind you, there was like nothing like, there was no, like the idea of I am, at, you know, I aming at the time was like the DMs were AOL, you know, like it was, <laughs> it was a long time. And so he, he ends up, um, his significant other catches an email from this girl. And she's like, it was so, uh, it was so, out of left field that she didn't believe that it was the girl. <laughs> she thought it was one of his friends that was just fucking, yeah. which is how he got away with all of <laughs> Because it was her name was the, was the name. <laughs> and I remember him like taking me in his office. like, you're not going to fucking believe this. <laughs> Cause we were like, Oh my God, this guy's life's over. Right. And then sure enough, he gets away with it because she so she didn't there. believe that it was you know what so uh, that's as much as I'm going to tell because what happens there stays there oh, but uh, but that was definitely an exciting time and you know it's funny because like I'm older now and obviously you don't do that shit but and, and married with children um, but it's it's fun to see like even in crypto like you know you kind of have these hot moments even with like the Wall Street bets world and all that stuff like you can see a lot of that that same kind of thing regenerating and you know when you do go out to vegas and you, you see traders out you always know who the ones are you know that are slinging it and you're like yeah they're having a good good moment in time right now so enjoy yeah yeah exactly. oh, so so he met he he met her in vegas is that where he 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 met her at a fight in vegas and yeah. really really and the guy looks like elvis like in his younger years like really good looking <laughs> dude and uh he just he had he just had a gift he had a gift he had a gift for the ladies man that's 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 incredible. He he should write a book. That that's uh... he he could write a and he's the type of guy that would write a book, and you know he you know and he's like he talked to me like this guy can't write a book, <laughs> and but <laughs> he'd find somebody to write a book and somehow it'd get turned into a Hollywood movie and he'd make a billion dollars off of it. Yeah, I mean people love this shit. Home. People love this shit. Uh, they, they love these type of stories. That's, <laughs> that was great. Well, thanks for sharing this with that one. That was that was a good laugh. That's incredible. <laughs> And so, so that's going to conclude today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. If you guys like this episode, please like, leave a review for us. If you'd like to join a supportive and professional community of traders, you can join us at microefutures.com. Dan, tell the people where they can find you, anything else you want them to know. Yeah, the best place probably on Twitter, um, at HXROBTC on Twitter. Uh, you, can, you can learn a ton about Hero Network. Um, if you start it again at Twitter, at, at, at HXRO Network. Uh, and just follow that. Um, there's links to our Discord channels and the bios there. Uh, that's probably the, a great place. You know, there's almost 7,000 
uh, uh, DeFi traders in it now and, um, and growing and uh, can learn a ton there and also just a great community to, uh, to be a part of. Excellent. JJ, parting words. Thanks so much for being with us. It was, uh, it's always nice to have old floor traders uh, on the show, you know, and, and guys. Of course. I'm, I'm really happy to be here and yeah. glad we can make it work, guys. Yeah, yep. uh, Vegas stories were nice. You know, having had an apartment in Vegas at one time, I, I, I know it's like it's nice, nice to go back down memory lane. And thanks so oh, much absolutely. for sharing the information and uh, <laughs> teaching us about uh, about the new the new era of of this whole marketplace. Absolutely, I appreciate it, and uh, and thanks again for having me, guys. All right, thanks so much. And so for Dan Gunsberg, aka Gunny, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla of House Street. Make sure you use and stop, so.